0: That's right at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to Christopher. And Eric. And we begin this week's episode of the podcast with a best with a thank you from one best friend to another. Eric, I'm ready to receive my thank you.
1: I, I am wondering what it is you've done to deserve <laughs> it. I, I certainly am always thankful that you're my friend. But uh, <laughs> did you actually do something special that I haven't already no. thanked you for? No. You just want actually, to be thanked.
0: I, I was just in the mood for a thank you. Yes. No, you did. You did something special that I want to thank you for.
1: What did um, I do?
0: We don't deliver coronavirus breaking news on this podcast uh, because we are a podcast that wants to live forever. But we are still experiencing high case counts here in the state of California where we both live. And so during this period, I am doing Eric's laundry so that he doesn't have to use his communal washroom. So
1: there's the big thank you, you know, which I hope that I do on a regular basis because that's an enormous um, gift. Yes, Christopher has inside washer and dryer and I have to go to the laundry room, so... Uh, and or I, allegedly, if I were to do to, the laundry.
0: And to answer your question, you do thank me very thoroughly and well, which is the the point of this whole anecdotal podcast introduction, which is usually you, you put your laundry together into a giant basket, which I come and pick up from you in a socially distanced way once a week. And then you usually put a surprise in the bottom of the basket oh. underneath the bag laundry. And the surprise is typically edible and delicious. So I got a little high on my horse and was listening week, to you. Next week, a python. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I hate snakes. No, no, no. python, no. <laughs> no, maybe Just a, a stuffed python. If you, <laughs> if you want your laundry to be thrown into the sky and I yes. run the other way and leave it tumbled in the street, put a python in the laundry basket. Uh, it's usually edible and delicious, as I said. But every night when we would talk each evening, which we do, we basically just do this podcast on the phone every night. We let you listen to it once a week now. But um, you are are constantly cooking and experimenting with new recipes, and you were talking about this new quiche that you were making, this low-carb quiche. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been experimenting with baking
1: with almond flour. So I made an almond flour crust and then, you know, regular quiche so that it's keto-y but also actually a quiche. I'd been making crustless quiches, but, you know, it's kind of the crust that makes it a quiche.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And the descriptions were so vivid and mouth-watering, I began to drop what I would call very heavy hints that if it turned out that one of the edible surprises in your laundry was one of these cheesy quiches, I would not be in the least bit disappointed. I was perfectly grateful for the three pounds of custom-picked
1: Russell Stover chocolates yes, you had that sent was, previously. I thought that was pretty high point.
0: But... I thought a quiche would do just fine. So, on the lo and behold, you respond to my request, but that, of course, is the day I do not immediately check the laundry basket for the surprise and instead set it down and rush upstairs to my shower to do my Karen Silkwood routine, which I do every time I go out into the world during this strange time in history. And you said, <laughs> there's this like, a you don't get any response by text. So, eventually, as I'm tow- toweling off, I get a text from you that says, oh, By the way, the surprise this week needs to be refrigerated. (laughs) And I was like, it's the quiche. And I ran downstairs and was so pleased. And it was everything you had cracked it up to be. It was absolutely delicious. Thank you. Thank you for being a best friend and a wonderful chef. Because if you were not a wonderful chef, I'm sorry, I would not be able to be friends with you.
1: Well, what a lucky break I've had because it's really only one of about 11 things that I know how to make. So I don't know that wonderful chef really is in my wheelhouse yet. I think chefs have to be able to make more than, you know, a dozen things. Like some of those things are toast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's really good fucking
1: toast. But it's great toast. I mean, I really totally know how to make toast, but it's one of like the 12 things I know how to make
0: yeah and i I would like to say we should already be praised for not turning this into a dieting conversation because we everybody who listens to the podcast knows that we have a tendency if, if we're if we're not deliberative in our approach to whatever the topic is it turns into a discussion of either aging or dieting. Some of those have been I think fulfilling discussions for our party people but Oh, my God. We have to talk about one comment we got on the Facebook page recently. I've already forgotten who made it, and I will go and apologize (laughs) to the person directly. But it was so funny. Um, We do Every other week, we do something called Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. That's not this week. We're going to do something different, which we'll get to in a little bit. But we had someone. Oh,
1: yes. We're having like nostalgia week almost, sort of.
0: Well, there's that comment, but this is, I think, a different comment. You saw it and told me about it because I'm dialing back my use of social media a little bit when it's not related to the show or the books and said – We make it really clear when we do True Crime TV Club that you do not need to watch the episode of television that we're going to break down for you, that our job is to make you feel as if you've seen it. Well, we had someone who went and watched one of the Datelines we discussed and basically came back saying they would never make that mistake again because the show was so slow and repetitive and they much preferred our version of it, which made us feel while we have a soft spot in our hearts for dateline it made us uh, it it made my head swell i don't know about you eric Shaw
1: that was yes, that was really funny like thank god i've never have i don't have to watch them now i'll just listen to you guys talk about them yeah that was funny that was who was that that was really great we'll look it up during the break
0: we'll send her a free book i think it was a woman and i think it was one of our our regular party people who's been with us for a long time so i I love that. You know, in defense of Dateline, it is, while we talk about those episodes a lot for True Crime TV Club, they are still commercial television. And so they're still structured in a way where they're counting on adding to their audience after each commercial break. So they do have that sort of catch you up on everything we've talked about before, which in the era of Netflix, uh, true crime documentaries and documentaries in general, that can start to seem a little exhausting <laughs> time. Yes,
1: Justice a susan.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah, if, so, you, if you time it right, you can get, when you're um, good, watching it on the DVR, you can kind of buzz past that because they start to recap it. Like they'll they'll recap it and then they'll go to commercial and then they'll open with the thing they just said before the commercial.
0: I think we need to put an asterisk next to that because when you say you, you're not taking into account that you have unbelievably effective dvr fast forward technique it's like you went to a a temple somewhere to study fast forwarding with the dvr i totally did i
1: went (laughs) our lady of the fast forward button temple yes (laughs) i absolutely did yes at our lady we work on our thumb technique and uh (laughs) It's it's great for other things too, but it's really hot. On, <laughs> <laughs> it's really hot on the fast forward button. I can stop like now. You just get used to whatever fa- whatever remote you're using, or I do.
0: Well, Maybe I just watch used- too
1: goddamn much television. Well, and
0: especially now since we're still staying home yeah. for the most part. The new national
1: of- uh, uh, pastime.
0: I was um, I, I was speaking, of which I was texting with a friend last night, who is originally like myself from the Bay Area. She's from Marin. I was born in in Berkeley and spent the first ten years of my life in San Francisco. And I told her how I was trying to give some structure to my evening watch habits to make it seem less like an interminable march of television and movie watching while I was at home. And I said, I'm doing a San Francisco film festival each night, but I'm only doing the real classics like Star Trek IV and San Andreas. (laughs) And I didn't get an LOL in response. And I woke up this morning thinking... Does she really think I think both of those movies are classics of the genre? Should I text her and say, oh, by the way, I don't know. I, granted, I love Star Trek IV. I know I'm going to send our Trekkie sound designer into a It was Cindy, tizzy. wasn't it? Cindy, no, Cindy was my aunt who took me to see it. No,
1: Cindy Comforti. Isn't that who said the thing yes. about the- Yes, um... yes. Yes. I was I, just wow, trying to look it up good. and I just remembered. I just remembered. I think that's right. If it wasn't- Sorry, I gave credit to the wrong person, but I think it was Cindy who said the thing about never watching this again. (laughs) Thank you for sparing me.
0: We will uh, look it up for sure before the next episode and give her, or him, if we have it completely wrong or proper due. But uh, as I was saying, I think our Trekkie sound designer is going to go crazy as I sing the praises of Star Trek 4. It's the humpback whales one, if you don't know the Star Trek movies.
1: Oh, getting a thumbs up okay a thumbs up yeah no I it's diddle- the new ones it's the new ones he hates it's the ones <laughs> I like that he really despises those are the, that's the that's yeah I've gotten the luck <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's um, what I thought
0: <laughs> and I, I I have to say though in a tribute to our friendship when I first brought up Star Trek for to you some time ago there was a there was a, let's say a typically Eric Shaw Quinn let's say, dismissive reaction to it. And then as my childlike, completely undiscerning love of it became clearer and clearer to you, you became more and more gentle on the topic of Star Trek IV, whereas you were like, you would become like a parent asking their third grader questions about their school project. So so what do you like most about Star Trek IV? <laughs> I was like, well, I like the whales, and I like that they go back in time to San Francisco and it's 1986, and you know all that sort of stuff. But I, I, my aunt took me to see the movie in San Francisco when I was a little boy, and the crowd—it was a packed house. And when they go back in time, and James T. Kirk says, "Set us down in Golden Gate Park," the audience just went nuts. It's like one of my fondest memories. So anyway, that was—that's what I've been doing. What have you been watching on
1: television, Eric Shawquin? Well, recently a lot of stuff to get ready for the show. <laughs> Had to. I watched the special segment bit. um, You know, I've been. To, I think we've talked about um, most of them. We talked about the Great, didn't we? I was really a big yeah. fan of that series about Catherine the Great that they did on Hulu. I'm currently rewatching an old series called The Last Detective. Um, mm. It's a fun old British um, detective show series, but it's kind of it's got an interesting, lighthearted quality to it. It's um, the, the actor's name is escaping me. He's been around forever. I think he I first saw him on an old masterpiece theater series called All Creatures Great and, Sm- Great and Small. He was on Campion. He was Campion. And what is his... Uh, I can't... His name is escaping me at this moment, but it's him. Um, mm-hmm. I've watched him grow up on television over the years, and he's an older man now and playing this... Um, sort of detective. He's kind of like the guy who, for whom everything goes wrong and yet he's actually a really good detective. And it makes for an interesting kind of um, low key kind of watch. Low key is really sort of the thing that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Like high drama is hard on me right now. It's like, there's so much high drama in real life that uh, I tend towards a more, a lighter fare. Although that said, I enjoyed the, um, the very intense and very dramatic, uh, opening of Perry, the new Perry Mason on HBO. Mm. And I have high hopes for that. It is, it's a complete reinvention of Perry Mason. I, I, I think it was the New York times that it was the superhero origin story for a superhero who did not need an origin story. So Ooh, I, I kind of, snarky. I was like, Yeah, sort of. But, like, they're inventing a different version of him. They're not doing the Perry Mason that we all know, the lawyer Perry Mason. They're positing that Perry Mason was, um, a private detective prior to being a lawyer. And so it's sort of, it's like wicked, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. was she really a wicked witch back then? No, she was just green. Um, Spoiler alert. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> she tr- she drank some green shit and it uh really stuck with her. Um absinthe. I can't remember. I think that was right. Um yes, it was probably absinthe. Um but it has that kind of quality. It's uh it's a, it's a fun series. It was originally I think set up to be uh a vehicle for Robert Downey Jr. and you can really see how he would have And you are a
0: mad fan of the original. Like you are a devoted fan of the black and white with Raymond Burr.
1: Who did it? I I have (laughs) seen every episode of Perry Mason that there ever was.
0: I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw-Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which mm. you can support by visiting the dinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv.
1: And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the home page you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same
0: is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And the DinnerPartyShow.com
1: and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream. All right. Well, let's
0: dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery app. Okay, as promised, we are doing something new-ish. It's sort of blast a repurposing. Blast from the past. Blast from the past. Brandon cue the intro.
1: And now it's time for another edition what? of What? All right, that's
0: the voice of our, our critic at large who hasn't worked as much as he used to. He's having troubles during he the pandemic He didn't do that much well. work
1: to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> you so always gave him uh, more credit than he deserved, that one. But he's so, much beloved. Big fans. People have asked about him. So we thought it might be, since we're all homeschooling, it might be a nice time to stop back and do our own science show.
0: absolutely-ish, I'm going to say science-ish show. Uh, This week, Eric and I both spoke off, off, whatever that word means. We broke off and we each watched an episode of a show that purports to be about mysteries of the national parks. That's actually what it's called. Now, what this show is really about is... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> really, you should just do your segment. I think yes, that just do it my will segment. become evident what this show is actually about as we describe to each other because we watch different episodes, so we've never discussed the episodes with each other until now.
0: We haven't. So this is a surprise for the other host of the show. Okay, Our I watched
1: scientific an, exploration.
0: I watched an episode called "Land of the Lost." These were 20-minute episodes. Mine was about 20 minutes. Was yours 20 minutes? not
1: the fun old television show with that guy who went on to become an escort. Not that one. Uh, (laughs) That's a whole episode we're going to do later. Yeah, we'll do that story another time. (laughs) Also, the guy from Fright
0: Night who did porn. I want to do a whole episode about him, too. Okay. Okay. Episode title, Land of the Lost. The series is called Mysteries of the National Parks. It is available to stream. It begins with an older woman and a little boy walking through some woods, okay? They are so... Uh, it took me a minute to realize they are the thing I dread most. They are reenactors. Can I ask you a question? As we start. already have a question. Well, <laughs> what, yes. par-
1: what national park is it that they are... Uh, that you're that you're reviewing that they're Mount looking at a Mount
0: Shasta, and okay. Mount Shasta may not actually be the technical name of the park, but everything they talk about is is focused on Mount and that's Shasta, here which in is California. The, that's here in California, in extreme northern California. I think it's the tallest peak in California, but I'm not sure. It may be the tallest peak west of the Rockies. I don't know. It may be part of the Rockies. I'm no national parks expert, and I'm not after watching this show either. I should add, um, older <laughs> woman science older woman and little boy I would say the actors about four years old walking through the woods together I first can't tell if they're reenactors I think maybe they're just the cameras following them sort of reality television style they enter a cave a narrator and voiceover begins explaining the dynamic between the two that it's a grandmother and her grandson they enter the cave together the actress playing the grandmother crouches down in front of them hands the blank-faced little piece of <laughs> boy a piece of paper and says in voiceover, will you poo on this? I'm not making this up. The little boy apparently responds, again in voiceover, according to the narrator, by saying, I don't really have to go right now, Grandma. Is there a reason? I don't want to. And she says, I need you to poo on this piece of paper. And
1: he says, "Oh my no, God. I don't
0: want to, Grandma. Blackout title card for mysteries of the national parks that is where we're starting with this episode oh
1: my god
0: that is our teaser okay so uh we then cut uh, completely away from that storyline it's 2011 uh a 19 year old man named michael salvo <laughs> so,
1: so we did 6 weeks earlier
0: <laughs> <laughs> 6 weeks earlier we want you to <laughs> we're going to leave the grandmother and her poo request I can't. Honestly, the timeline for this 20-minute episode is like a Roshark test. I can't really tell you where. I can just give you the dates that they gave us in their show notes. Okay, so in 2011, a 19-year-old man named Michael Falvo is ascending Mount Shasta with a New Age religious group. It's a 14,000-foot climb, and it takes about 10 hours to complete. I believe they've completed the climb. They're coming back down the mountain. Michael is shirtless. I hear New Age religious group, and I think all these people are on magic mushrooms, and that's going to explain everything that I'm about to see. However, they're anticipating that suspicion in the scripting of the show. So Michael suddenly peels off from the group, and for reasons that are clear to no one, he runs up the mountain. Okay, they cut to an interview with his parents, Lorraine and David Like uh, Defying Violet. Gravity
1: runs up the mountain? Or? No,
0: he, did, he, runs up the, he runs back up the mountain. He, he basically retraces the path that the group just okay. made. Okay, all right. I was like, wow, that's that's pretty weird. Um, he's shirtless. He, uh, he has mild asthma. And he just keeps going and going and going. And he eventually passes out and dies of exposure. So oh. in interviewing Michael's... Right, and I'm thinking... I hope Michael's parents know why they're being interviewed, that this is a show that's going to wildly speculate about possible supernatural causes for their son's death. But I, that will be revealed before the end of the 20 minutes. Michael's parents say it's not in his nature to do this. They suspect drugs. The father in the interview says, actually think it's the stepfather, says, I ordered the coroner to do a full talk screen and it comes back negative for everything, including alcohol. So from this fact, the narration says some people believe, and there is a lot of some people believe in this episode. There is a lot of many people say, I which is think we all it was know, the
1: original title for this series. Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> um, perhaps Michael was summoned up the mountain by an invisible power.
1: Yeah, perhaps.
0: Perhaps because that's immediately where, you know, or my maybe head would he go.
1: saw Mary Poppins caught in a treetop and thought he would go rescue her.
0: And if nobody with him could see Mary Poppins, then that would qualify as an invisible power that might have summoned Michael to right? the mountain. Invisible Mary Poppins. She's a lot of trouble. So there are a lot of interview experts, I'm going to put giant air quotes around them, who pop up during the length of this. And I'm not going to, in the interest of time, I'm not going to recognize them all, except to say that the anchor interview is a guy named David Polides, I believe, who is the author of a book called Missing 411. And if I... Interpret him correctly. David believes that there are supernatural explanations along, uh, behind a lot of disappearances that go unexplained in the world.
1: He tells <laughs> us about how... Um, Wouldn't that it, be fun to just be it, it, that guy? <laughs> To just sort of give in. Like it's all a conspiracy theory. There are these huge, ridiculous, ley line based, um, demonically driven plots that are actually behind everything happening in the world.
0: But and I think this is part of the reason I wanted to do this is I think you and I are both two people who want to believe a lot of this stuff, but Mm. we need credible evidence. Like we need more than just sort of connecting the dots with red strings. Some people say. Yeah, some people say. Uh, We go into details of another disappearance in the same area. This is a 70-year-old woman named Rosemary Kurtz, who has gone on a spiritual retreat to this region after a terrible car accident um, kills her husband, and she survives it. And she is clearly in deep grief and in deep mourning, and one morning on this retreat, she decides to take a walk alone, allegedly to meditate and try to commune with the spirit of her husband. She vanishes completely. There's a massive search involving 150 searchers, helicopters with heat-seeking cameras. Um, they interview this who's a man who was supposedly the search and rescue team leader. He says a thing about bears that that I think the show kind of handles sloppily. He says bears eat everything and I don't that's not actually true of human beings. He makes it sound like if a bear attacked her, it would have eaten her. We actually have a penal code for bears in this country, which I know from reading Morbid Magazine articles that if I
1: love this story, yes, and I love that you know this.
0: There is a law that governs when we can kill a bear for having attacked a human, and if a bear mauls a human, that doesn't necessarily rise to the level of, of extermination. If a bear chews on a human after killing it, That's a fucked up bear because bears don't really do that. That's a bear
1: with problems. (laughs) There's a law for that (laughs) apparently, and there are very few therapists. So, (laughs) 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 so rather than go to the expense of putting them into therapy, we don't.
0: There's not a lot of Obamacare provisions for bear mental health, and we're going to work on that hopefully in the new administration. But um. So they search the area looking for a struggle. What they, the point that he does make about bears is that it's possible if she was killed and abandoned, her body was abandoned in the woods, the bear would have eaten her belongings or her clothes. And so they search piles of bear scat looking for any traces of her, and they don't find any. God, wow! Forgive aren't you glad the bear you don't have, have that job? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking.
1: Like dog food taster, yeah. Bear right. scat searcher. I just Jesus Christ. So at this moment. David
0: Politi says he has filed a Freedom of Information Act request of the parks authorities asking to, for explanations in these disappearances, and they won't give him any information. So he... Right? It's a cover-up. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we're back to the three-year-old boy and his grandmother. Oh, in thank K. God. I've been dying to know how this plays out. September 2nd, 2011, the three-year-old boy wanders away from his family while they're camping. He, his grandmother appears to him in the woods. She's not on a camping trip with them, by the way. So she's not there. Um, takes him, Guides him into this cave. Makes the poo request, as I'll call it. He says, I don't have to go right now, Grandma. Her eyes turn black, which we know because the reenactress's eyes suddenly, she's wearing solid black contact lenses. Otherwise, she, nothing about her changes because none of the reenactors are actually performing anything, which is sort of a blessing. Uh, The uh, boy passes out. He's discovered by his parents later, a good distance from the cave. He tells them this story about... The grandmother appearing, making this request. And the narrator says, or one of the interview subjects says, a three-year-old boy just couldn't make up a story like that. And I'm thinking, mm. you needed boy, to be Boy, that me. sounds
1: like the sort of story a three-year-old would absolutely come up with. Absolutely.
0: Like, I, as a three-year-old, like, half of everything I purported to be reality was something I had seen on television five minutes earlier. I just, I, anyway, it gets weirder, as these shows often do, he runs it. He goes to see his grandmother once he's home. And the grandmother says, You know, I was camping in that exact same area three weeks earlier, and I woke up feeling a prick in my neck. And my friend who was with me, the friend is never identified. I think it's probably the other widow from her block that oh, she was out so. in the woods canoodling with, identifies a pinprick in the back of her neck. And. <laughs> From this, they say, is it possible that some sort of entity extracted her DNA in order to make a clone of the grandmother that could appear
1: to the boy three weeks later when he was camping in the,
0: in the woods with his family? That sounds family? like the
1: Ben's, ben, ben Mendelsohn show we just saw. <laughs> Wait, which one? Oh, The Outsider. Yes. Yes. It very much yes. sounds like the plot of The Outsider. So maybe that was at Mount Shasta. But maybe The Outsider so. travels. So we'll see. Anyway.
0: Okay, so the um, they then interview a Karuk medicine man. The Karuk tribe has a 10,000-year history in the area. His name is Jack Tom, and he says, quote, there are things on this mountain I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. He describes an experience of being a young man in 1983 and going to camp either above or near the tree line, and his his elders had always said to him, we don't go above the tree line. There are things above the tree line that we don't understand That are scary. And as he's camping with his girlfriend at the time, he says he sees two really large people appear right next to the tree line. This could be a terrifying story if the reenactment of it didn't play out like a cheap production of Jesus Christ Superstar (laughs) in a church parking lot. The two actors are not large men really but they try to shoot them to make them look large but then you realize they're just shooting them in a way that you can't tell what size they are because it's like a close up of their eye long hair robes Uh, anyway Um, he says that they closed their eyes his girlfriend they looked at the men they saw the men they held hands they said we're going to close our eyes until they disappear they had to do that three times before the men disappeared I'm personally thinking that if it didn't work the first time I'm going to resort to running
1: I, I'm kind of surprised that running wasn't their first choice, but you know, like I guess closing your eyes and hope it disappears. I, I, I guess you could try that. Like, Oh, it's a mugger. Let's close our eyes and down to ten and see if he disappears. No, he's still mugging us. Should we run or give him our wallets or try closing our eyes again? That just seems like a really unusual choice. Did they get a talk screen in this, in this story? <laughs> No, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe they
0: wouldn't have passed a
1: talk screen.
0: Well, and there's another thing I think we should factor into this, which is altitude sickness. This is a high mountain. This is a mountain that goes up really high, and people can have the tendency to hallucinate. Anyway, that's not the answer this show wants us to arrive at. The answer is, wait for it, Lemurians. I don't know if you've heard of the ancient civilization of Lemuria, but a lot of people believe it exists. It's sort of like Atlantis West, it was like the Atlantis of the Pacific region, even though I'm not really sure the Pacific Ocean existed in that form like as far a back.
1: for Atlanteans. <laughs> It's like vacation destination
0: for Atlanteans, and there are some people who believe. Again, some people say that the Lemurians now live. The this continent fell; it collapsed just as Atlantis did, and but it's a race of fifth dimensional beings who live in and out of our reality who occasionally visit us to try to convince us to be our higher selves, presumably by pooping on a piece of paper <laughs> for I our grandma. So. And, and um, okay, now this is when the expert cavalcade gets really crazy because uh-huh. they, they introduce a Christian commentator named Virginia Patrick. Right. And I'm thinking, I didn't know Christian commentators were really down with the Lemurians. Well, spoiler alert, they're not. But they also introduced David Childress, who has a very sort of benign view of the Lemurians as having come from a wonderfully advanced civilization and being higher beings. So they start cutting back and forth as they just start to roll out this crazy Lemurian conspiracy theory. And eventually, they keep, Virginia gets angrier and angrier because she says they are demonic. What they are is demonic. You can think they're higher beings, but they are demonic, and they are here to mess with our DNA. They are already among us. There, and so they show one of the reenactors who played a Lemurian walking down a street, and he just sort of looks like a rock musician who maybe does woodwork. So,
1: uh-huh.
0: and so to wrap this up, because <laughs> we're at the you answer, take your time. Of... <laughs> 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 just... <laughs> this up, um. Uh, The the Lemurians live under Mount Shasta. They're responsible for a string of mysterious disappearances. And according to Christians, they're messing with our DNA.
1: Because that's what demons do.
0: Yes. And I just want to say my final thought on this is like, why are people so protective of their DNA? Like I'm not that gu- I'm not going to guard my DNA. If there's a higher race of beings that's going to improve me, like and they want to interbreed with me and maybe give me the gift of flight and take away my obsessive compulsive neurotic disorder, bring it on. Let's let's elevate, man. Like I, there's some real problems with my human DNA.
1: <laughs> so, was it pro or con? Spend this summer at Mount Shasta. (laughs) That's the question we're going to put to this? Well, it is. Ultimately, it's supposed to be about the national parks. And it's on the Travel Channel.
0: Like (laughs) The show is on the Travel Channel. No, No, I wouldn't. I will say as a child, I did multiple camping trips to Mount Lassen, which I think is in the same general area. I didn't see any of this. I would say no. And I would say the question I wanted to ask, and I'm going to ask you the same question about your episode is, was I remotely convinced? I can be convinced that there is some truth to Native American mythology that says there's something above the tree line we don't understand. That I can open my mind to people who've been in that region for 10,000 years have 10,000 years of experience in the that region if they say there's something out there we don't quite understand some presence or force that I'm down with It's Lemurians living under a mountain and asking three-year-olds to poo on pieces of paper. I don't see how those dots connect <laughs> All right, Eric Shaw Quinn, it's your turn in the poo cave.
1: I, I swear to God. Yeah, this is... Um, th- what was the basis on which you chose this particular series? Because it <laughs> seemed the wackiest or...
0: Yes, because it seemed the craziest, but also the episode descriptions were brief and sincerely nuts. Like uh, some people, I think they even had some people believe in the episode description. Some people believe oh, a race of superhumans I, I, live I, under Mount Shasta. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is let's very
1: some people believe kind of th- that. Like I say, they could have called this series Some People Believe. I, I, um, I reviewed the, um, episode eight because it takes place in Florida. And hey, how could it's I not? Florida. Yeah, it's the Everglades. So I think we can safely conclude at the beginning without even having the, um, the uh, the the review of the the actual episode that no, you do not want to spend your vacation in the <laughs> Everglades for heaven's sake. Um, but you know, like irrespective of that, they 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 managed to put together a show that yeah, the swamp. In Florida is really mysterious. Apparently, um, <laughs> although I will say the thing that struck me the most about it was almost nothing about the show, actually technically had anything to do with the the Everglades or the swamp itself. Very much the same with yours. Like it's like um, I'm sorry. I thought this was supposed to be about Mount Shasta. Like. Uh-huh. There's nothing really about Chasta in your whole story, except maybe there was a cave that people may or may not poo right. in, depending on their personal <laughs> proclivities. Um, <laughs> when they ate But apparently grandma like it, right? and her lady friend from down the street, you know, get up to some, uh, some special <laughs> things when they're out in the woods. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. Uh, so mine opens with... Okay, so it's a show about the Everglades, right? So mine opens with... Uh, 1972 Eastern flight 401 to Miami. How did you, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or something like that. So it's, it's, uh, maybe it's not flight 401. Maybe, no, flight 401 was the one. Okay. So now, no, that's not what it opens with. It opens with. An eastern airline flight, I, I eleven twenty seven. I can't remember. Whatever. Um, there's a plane and there's a stewardess and she's uh, making dinner and what do you know? Um yeah, this you should totally have been the I one to do this have, episode. I
0: have a book on this plane crash sitting behind me. And I, okay. but it's a use, so, but I'll, I'll fill it in at the end. You go ahead, but I will give so you the flight. So this show number.
1: ultimately turns out to be a show about a plane crash. Like there's, there's, a, and there is a payoff at the end. I was like, oh my God, Christopher should totally have done this episode because it would have been all of his favorite things. Okay. So this is not Flight 401. This is subsequent to Flight 401. I guess I've gotten them confused. There was another one called 1011, Flight 1011. Anyway, there's this flight and she's making dinner and suddenly, there's a ghost face in the microwave oven and she loses her shit and drops the chicken pot pie on the carpeting which i'm always like just set it down for god's sake anyway um so she goes and gets somebody else on the plane and he comes to the galleon sure enough there is a ghost face in the microwave and the other guy recognizes it as being this um former um eastern employee and Blackout, um, and now we go back to 1972 and Flight 401, where they're coming in for a landing in Miami, and there's an indicator light that's a bit of a problem, and so he radios the pilot radios in and says, "I want to um, circle in a holding pattern over the Everglades until we get this worked out," and the they clear him for to do that, and then something goes terribly wrong, and the plane crashes into the Everglades, and. Mm-hmm. 101 people are killed and worse 75 people survive and are Mm. in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Everglades in the water Mm. with the alligators and the snakes Mm. for an hour before rescue even starts to arrive, but Mm. they do survive. Um, but yuck. Um, and then, um, they go, they, through this sort of like, then we take another leap. So we cover the the plane crash, which you've got lots of information about, and then we flight four hundred one, flight four hundred one, I take think, flight four hundred one crash, yeah. and so then we take other. Um, we start looking at other Eastern flights where other ghost sightings are starting to happen, where people are seeing other, um, and they're all people from, dun, 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 flight 401. And so after 20 different ghost sightings on different Eastern airlines flights and, um, uh, get reported. They decide to launch an investigation at Eastern Airlines into these ghost sightings, which I think could probably explain why there is no longer any such thing as Eastern Airlines. <laughs> if, if in fact, twenty ghost sightings caused them to launch an investigation, like let really? me just ask and, you for a second. Oh yes, go ahead. So the the ghosts are
0: targeting the airline. Not the area where the crash happened, but they're mad at Eastern Airlines. The
1: only time we've talked about the Everglades was when we were talking about people being up to their ankles or hanging upside down, still strapped to their chair in the Everglades after the crash. We've not talked about it since. We're back to we've uh, we're mostly talking about Eastern Airlines and all of these ghost sightings. So. The result of the um, here's the here's what you're looking for. Your inquisitive mind is looking for Christopher. The result of their um, their investigation is that parts from flight 401 were Mm -hmm. recycled and put back onto other planes. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking they went and found parts in the swamp and drag them back into town and wash them and Mm -hmm. put the microwave door back on after it's been in the swamp on this. So whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So they decide that, Um, that it's, that's the cause they actually conclude their investigation concludes that having used parts from flight 401 is what's causing these hauntings. And so they remove all the flights, all the parts from all of the Eastern airlines and put them in a warehouse. And I forget exactly how they say, I, I may have written it down, but, um, uh, they, they begin to, um, no, I I didn't write it down, but there was I they, <laughs> You were they so keep,
0: immersed in the story. After you just after couldn't keep some up.
1: time, not <laughs> not even immediately, but after a period of time, the sightings stopped. Because they had taken all of... So they naturally conclude that it's because they took these parts off the plane. So, so far we've had the haunted microwave and the haunted parts. But now we have the haunted warehouse. Because they put the parts in a warehouse and they said it's an unair conditioned warehouse. And you'd be walking along and suddenly you'd be... Also, the the warehouse is not in the Everglades either. So we're still not talking (laughs) about the Everglades. Um, (laughs) So you're walking down and suddenly you're in a really... It's freezing cold, you know. And that's because it's not cold in the Everglades either. So I don't know what that has to do with it. But still, that's their proof that, in mm-hmm. fact, the warehouse is haunted because the Well, park. that's... So that's now, a, Oh,
0: sorry. Oh, that's a common no, 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 ghost thing, thing. The cold draft, yeah, the haunting in feeling. To
1: manifest, in order to manifest, ghosts have to pull energy out of the environment mm. um, to try and manifest as a ghost. And so it pulls all of that energy out. And that's why it gets so cold when a ghost... Um, appears to you.
0: I didn't know that was the explanation you for see, that. You and that's the thing something about every this day. is like,
1: I want there to be ghosts and I want there to be the Loch Ness monster. And I want those things to happen. But these cockamamie um, reports where they purport that things are happening. It's like, this is not no, no. Oh my God. You know, like, okay. So there, they, they, the, the explanation that the, um, the show then defaults to is the Seminole Indians used to, after you died, they would bust up your shit and throw it into the Everglades. And the Seminoles said that if you went and got there, busted up shit out of the mud in the swamp, that you would be haunted by the dead person. So that from that, they infer that, in fact, the swamp itself is, um, is you know, Im- invested with these special um, haunty powers. So um, the next story that they tell is about a woman in the 1940s who burns her own house to the ground in the uh, in the Everglades, claiming that the house is haunted. I don't think she got a talk screen either. But, um, <laughs> or an insurance
0: but, payment, because I don't think they pay I out for bet, hauntings like that. But she burned
1: her own goddamn house down because it was burning. And then we flash back to 1927?
0: This show is all over 19, the place.
1: 1910, when um, a fishing party finds a woman, a disemboweled woman, floating in Ooh. the swamp. Okay. Um, and um, it gets the locals riled up. They're worried about it because it seems like it might have been a local. And then they never mention her again. Wait, what? So <laughs> then... Um, so then but what they do mention is as they're investigating, they um they become suspicious of this uh this local landowner who has moved there and built a some sort of um I don't know sugarcane plantation or something down there. Edgar Watson. Um, okay. Uh anyway, um Edgar Watson is uh, a fairly respected member of the community, but it seems like maybe Uh, the person who they found floating in the swamp might've been from him. They don't really make that leap. They kind of drop the person in the swamp and I'm like, "Mm." so they go to question him and they discover that there are all kinds of bodies buried on his property. Um, So maybe he's a serial killer. Um, So he says that, um, so they go to his house, but he's not there now. And they say they, you know, that he needs to explain himself and, Report to Because it's a very lawless area of the country at that point. Criminals go and live in the Everglades because who the hell would come there looking for them? And, you know, like you couldn't really pick a worse punishment. It's not only Florida, but it's the Everglades. So what the hell? so um so he becomes so then he says no it wasn't me it was my overseer my um uh, my foreman and so i'll take care of this because there is no law to report it to so he kills him and throws him in the swamp but they say that's not good enough for him for them the locals and so they have a shootout and he gets shot 40 times and then he's dead and his house is the one that the lady burned down. Dun, 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 So it was haunted by the ghosts of the people who were buried in the Everglades. And then um, there's another guy. Um, what was his name? Let's see. I've written these names down because they're so... I like, think and,
0: and then is a great term for the structure of these episodes. And then... Absolutely. And, and, then, and then...
1: Because what they're trying to build a case for is that the swamp itself is invested with something evil. Mm -hmm. But so far, none of the stories that they've told, other than the woman floating in the swamp and the plane crashing into the swamp, have really involved the swamp at all. Oh, and the Seminole Indians. The swamp is
0: having evil people inflicted upon it. There's nothing fundamentally evil about the swamp. I think it sounds like it's
1: a great place for evil people to hang out. Case in point, Henry Lee Lucas, who was presented to us by crime researcher Mac um, Stevens... Maybe that's what that says, um, bad handwriting. (laughs) And um, Max Stevens says that Henry Lee Lucas is a terrible man, but he was made worse by coming to the swamp. He came to the swamp and was taken to um, a demonic black mass held somewhere in the swamp where um, he was asked to kill, uh, uh, as an initiation rite, one of the members of the group like who wants to join a group that you, they kill the members? Um, and then yeah, it they, sounds like you um, showed
0: up evil. It didn't sound like they yeah. made you evil. You so, showed up, but
1: it proves that it proves that you're a bad guy. So he kills him to prove that he is bad enough to be a part of their terrible organization. And then as part of the Black Mass, they roast him. And eat him. And as the um, as the crime researcher says, um, and then you know, it becomes a blood orgy. Which okay. I wait. don't know what that means, but like <laughs> he said it like it was a common thing, like, you know, like a blood orgy.
0: Like their caves of Lemurians under Mount Shasta. I need to ask you, do we know if the story of the black mass Came from Henry Lee Lucas because, as I believe you know as well, and anyone who has watched the recent Netflix documentary, today's thinking about Henry Lee Lucas, who was once believed to be the most prolific serial killer in history, is that he lied outright about the vast majority of his confessions. That he was manipulated into confessing because the law enforcement people who were working him believed it to be true but were getting a lot of attention. He would confess to any unexplained disappearance at all. So if this black mass story came from Henry Lee Lucas, the true crime researcher that they interviewed needs to update his or her, you know, dossier on the case because yeah. Well,
1: it would have to have come from him because no other evidence of the black mass is actually presented. But they also yes. don't that and they don't mention that he's a pathological liar but they do say that he's a terrible guy and so then they bring in and this will be your favorite part of the story um russ walden who is identified as a pastor who um looks for signs of evil that's apparently (laughs) his primary job i don't think anybody will let him preach at a church the first sign is if you disagree with him
0: about anything
1: and he was and he's the guy they brought in to really bring it home um that it was that the swamp was the source of evil and his evidence for that. Are you ready? This is gonna be your favorite part of the story. Oh, I'm ready. His evidence for that is that the um the swamps are have of late begun to be depopulated of mammals. And the reason for that is that there is a plague of pythons living in the swamp and they they even passed a law saying they would kill the pythons but they haven't been able to do it and so that proves that the pythons are a sign (laughs) from god of the evil that's living in the swamp and he quotes acts Sixteen, sixteen, which I haven't looked up because I kind of felt like he wasn't as credible a witness as the as the show seemed that it, that he was. But yes, he said the yes. reason that they can't kill the pythons off was because um, the that the God was was protecting them to prove that it was a sign of evil. But if the pythons what? are a sign of evil, why would God protect them? Seems like a really good question. And so clearly from this, we can see that the Everglades are intrinsically evil. And intrinsically that was my evil. episode. Of and the, so, of the, so this
0: to both episodes of this show, their, their ending is a, a Christianist, let's call them, Uh Th- conspiracy okay, theorists, sure. a religious, basically of some trying sort. to p- promote some religious ar- uh, argument about inherent, fundamental evil, and something uh, they don't. Like. I guess so. The, if you can find. Party people, the New Yorker article about the python infestation of Florida. It is one of the funniest things I've ever read. We know exactly or how it happened. Or ask Amy <laughs> they, You can ask Amy Bellino, You can ask any Floridian about it. But the New Yorker article was so funny, I had to stop reading it on an airplane because I was disturbing the other passengers with my laughter. They smuggled these snakes in, in uh, frisbee-like. They kept them in frisbee-like plastic tubes. They were getting a high price for them, which is why there was a market for their uh, illegal importation. When Hurricane Andrew hit, it literally picked up these plastic snake containers and just distributed them like Frisbees across the state. And now everybody's rending their garments and going, why do we have a snake problem given that we imported all of these creatures that are ideally suited to this habitat that have very few natural predators and now they're (laughs) the state is crawling with them but naturally no it's a biblical curse and and god is god is protecting the snakes because they're evil i yeah that's because they're a
1: sign of evil so that we know that the swamp is invested is a source of 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 satan Okay. Well, it sounds like he's dating um,
0: Virginia from my episode who said the Lemurian series. But Lemurians you see what I'm saying. What yeah, they're yeah. probably
1: the executive producers of the series. You should really this should have been your episode because there's a plane crash and the the frisbee plague in in Florida yeah. are a part of the story and you knew about Henry Lee Lucas too. Like you were this was your episode and I unfortunately watched it because it was Whereas Florida.
0: your deep history with the Lemurians would have made you highly qualified to discuss no, the Mount Chast. No, I think all
1: of this is, this is a shame. This is bullshit. Like okay. I, and I, and I that's said, why I want to
0: ask you the question. Were you convinced about, did anything in it seem like, oh, well, there's something there to explore?
1: They didn't actually present any evidence at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there was nothing presented as evidence. Like, if they had showed me this is the site of the uh, the black mass, and here's the altar, and here that's you know covered with soot from where they burn the bodies and what. A, no, there was none of that. Did they show me anything of the? No, they didn't show me any of the pieces of the plane. Did they show you know like everything that they? The only thing we got to see was the ruins of the house that the drunk lady burned down when she fell asleep on the chase lounge smoking that cigarette. And then um, claimed she, she burned it down because it was haunted. Is that your theory? Because it was haunted. Yeah. yeah. I, or whatever.
0: And so I about this plane crash, it's uh, Eastern Airlines flight 401, I believe. There is a book that is out of print and I own it because I'm a deeply disturbed person. It's called Crash By Rob and Sarah Elder. I have a coverless hardcover used, but not very used, which suggests the audience for Crash was maybe not what they had hoped. There was a TV movie made about the plane crash, which you can probably find in snippets on YouTube, which I will be looking for tonight with William Shatner and Lorraine Gary. And, oh yeah, my! The passengers were were trapped in the swamp for hours before the, that. I
1: believe that to me was the most terrifying part of this whole story.
0: And the and it was pilot distraction. I believe is what they found was the cause of the crash. Like they he was distracted by other things. This was the early seventies. That the, there was you know there were strides to be made in the aviation industry after this accident. But he, he was
1: drunk. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and if having accident. sex with one of the flight attendants.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that was it. It wasn't. It was early in the '70s. I feel like that happened later in the '70s. Okay, this was fun. That has this has been what science? Cue the outro, Brandon. What science? Uh, I'm sure we will do more of those. I don't care if anybody liked yes. them or not. I loved them.
1: I'm all about what science. Yeah, we'll have to find maybe a somewhat slightly more credible, although oh, not let's a lot. Not, I, the, let's,
0: yeah, let's, the, I want to finish you, out this series.
1: Yeah. Oh, you want to do more
0: from this series? I, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. The, the sort of the radical, um, hateful Christianist bias against anything weird or different in, yeah. that popped up in both episodes is maybe not my favorite thing, but we'll see. We are back with True Crime TV Club next week, which means it's time for my usual overly detailed disclaimer. We serve up the episodes so that you do not have to watch them. But if you would like to study ahead, we're going to call
1: it the Cindy Comforti uh, disclaimer. (laughs) The Cindy Comforti
0: (laughs) disclaimer. We're also going to confirm that that was really her who left that comment before we record the next episode. Uh, The series is called A Crime to Remember. The episode is called Time Bomb Season 1. Episode 4. That's a crime to remember, and we will be serving up that episode for you on the next episode of TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric, and the next installment of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. Until then, Eric, any final thoughts on snakes, or vortexes, or lemurians, or... uh Well,
1: you know, I think that people ought to have more of an open mind about um, unexplained phenomenon, but I also think that, you know, evidence and actual proof counts as opposed to asking some drunk guy what he thinks might have happened.
0: That's, I think, some very wise words. I also think it's about keeping your mind open to the idea that whatever you do discover is not going to conform to the rules and, um, let's say, restrictive thought patterns of your past. Okay, I'm just going to put
1: that out there in a vague Wow, <laughs> that sounds like you might have a personal story to tell. Well, we'll touch on that next time.
0: Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric shaw And you've been listening to TDPS Presents, Christopher. And
1: Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.